Welcome back to L&D Behind the Curtain, a show that we hope sheds some light on the great work that goes on in the L&D world, work we don't, however, tend to hear much about. I'm Nathan Carey, owner of Ingredient Films, and I'm joined, as always, by Alex Lockie from Bolt, someone I've known for six or seven years and who supplies subject matter experts for a number of our video and podcast projects. But you do more than just suppliers with SMEs, Alex. Tell us a little bit about Bolt. Yeah, so in a nutshell, Bolt are a uh, recruitment partner and job board for the L&D and skills sectors. Um, but it's been a few years since uh, that first introduction. Who'd have thought we'd have ended up, you know, co-hosting a, a podcast together? Yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying it. I mean, I'm, I've spent too many years, 20-odd, let's call it, um, years behind the camera and, and filming people this way. And it, it kind of made me cringe when we first talked about it, that we were going to do a podcast, but actually thoroughly enjoying it. We've met some great people already. The feedback's been very good so far. We've had loads of messages. Um, and, and crucially, we've got a few more people interested in coming on to share their stories as well. So we'll definitely keep doing it. Could I ask that if you're enjoying these podcasts, please subscribe, like, comment or share wherever you're listening to us and keep the emails and messages coming on LinkedIn. Your feedback is much appreciated and it gives us a real boost, to be honest. So uh, keep them coming. So today we meet someone who's a bit of a rising star in the L&D world, Victor Amoa. We can deliver training in a more meaningful way in the metaverse than we probably ever thought that we could. That's where I see L&D moving to. He's taken a decade of experience working for the John Lewis Group to his new role as Global Senior Learning and Development Consultant at Cushman and Wakefield. Cushman and Wakefield are a global commercial real estate services company. They've got you know over 50,000 employees and they're over 100 years old as well. So I think there's parallels to draw with John Lewis in terms of you know John Lewis being a heritage retail brand and Cushman and Wakefield being around for a long time as well. It's worth keeping an ear out for how L&D expertise can transition across sectors whilst maintaining a core focus on values and, and positive impact. Those activities were testing their ability to manage people. We're testing you as an individual and how you're going to be under pressure. After they spent that week of time away, when they came back, a lot of them said to me, absolutely life-changing. Hello, Victor. So just as always, we like to uh, start these shows and just learn a bit about our guests, how they started out and talk about some of the experiences that shaped their early career. Uh, and for you, that was working on the shop floor at one of the you know most recognizable retailers in Britain and quickly making that leap into HR and, and then, you know, and into learning and development from there. So it'd be good to start off just telling us a little bit about your, your time at John Lewis. Okay, yeah, sure. So John Lewis, Britain's favorite retailer <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. yeah that so that time was back in around about 2007 2008 when I joined there and I've got to say just off the bat it was it was a great experience I was, I was there for a long time and you know I can't speak highly of John Lewis they gave me a lot of a lot of training a, a great platform to start off my career um, so like like you mentioned I was there I was on the shop floor for some time for a couple of years but I always wanted to get into HR that's what I knew I wanted to do going forward. So I kind of mapped my way into there. And whenever there was a job opening, I kind of made myself known and, you know, just showed them the skills that I had, communication, you know, all those kind of things. And then I was able to secure a job role there. Um, and I was there for a good solid about eight years in learning and development in, in John Lewis. And, you know, we delivered lots of training for the partners there, 
mainly around customer service, but essentially how they can be better and how we can remain the best retailer, the best destination for, for customers coming in. So I had a great, a great learning journey there. And I'd imagine, you know, in terms of, uh, of being involved in the customer service side of John Lewis, that's quite a, 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 a big undertaking in terms of the expectations must be incredibly high and proper kite mark for you, I'd imagine. And, and we'll come on to something that's spun out of this in, in a while, because that's a very interesting part of your John Lewis journey. However, uh, you've taken a slight step back. So, so you obviously start on the shop floor. You make the move into sort of HR. How did it, the L&D move uh, come about? Because you then spend quite a lot of time within L&D, right? Yeah. So actually, when I went into HR, it was actually straight into L&D. So it was a learning and development role that I was seeking because, you know, that's what I really wanted to do. When we talk about learning and development, we're talking about how we're getting the best out of people. So I always wanted to do that. And I, you know, it, so it was, it was literally straight into that, into that role. I remember giving, you know, one of my first assignments, one of the first projects I was working on was to create a new induction for, <laughs> for people joining the business. You know, how can we onboard them? How can they see that this is the best place to, to work? So I was put on onto that and then I had to deliver those inductions for people coming into the business. So, you know, I would be me and the team would be the first people that they, 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 that they see when they come in. So, you know, what impression are we leaving on them? Are they going to want to stay after that? Or are they going to be like, Oh no, that's a crazy guy, crazy people. I don't want to work here anymore. So, you know, all that expectation was there, but it, it was fun and it was a, it was a great ride. So in answer to your question, Nathan it was actually straight into L and D right from the get go. And working within L&D there, well, what type of programs are you running? You mentioned uh, sort of customer service, and obviously no, everyone knows how respected John Lewis are when it comes to that. But what, how are you delivering that training? What sort of training were you delivering? Yeah, so there were a number of different initiatives that we had for customer service. It was really just around just understanding the basics of, of what that is, how we can be different from, you know, the likes of Debenhams, House of Fraser, who else was was there. And then there was some training around, you know, personal development things. So you know, how can they be better with their, with the customers and, and the clients that we have? So be personal development things around, you know, presentation skills, that kind of thing, communication skills, coaching. And then obviously there was also the manager level. So I was training managers as well in terms of how they can be better with their teams, you know, effective conversations, you know, how to have those challenging conversations. So all the management classic L&D stuff that we all do, or all L&D professionals know, but they were some of the topics I remember delivering pretty much. And during our pre-record chat as well, you mentioned, you know, like some of the outcomes you had from, from this training and some of the campaigns that you ran. Can you talk to that a little bit, you know, just about um, some of the successes you had at John Lewis? Yeah, well, I'll go, I'll go direct to the, one of the greatest successes that we had because it's front of mind and <laughs> kind of summarizes everything up really. So, you know, London 2012, the Olympics was a, was a great time in London. And, you know, John Lewis got approached to deliver some ser customer service training for the ambassadors that we had in, in, in and around London. So people coming to London from, you know, all over the world, you know, they came to John Lewis and they were like, well, okay, what does the service look like and how can we deliver that for our ambassadors at the Olympics? So we were basically charged with the task of delivering a customer service training for that event. And that was great because we had some great feedback after the Olympics had, you know, had had taken place. And everybody knows that the success of the Olympics anyway, it was just a great time. I've been lived in London nearly all my life and I've never, I always say this, I'd never 
have seen that level of, I don't know, you know, everybody was just happy for those, for those two weeks or however long it was on. It was amazing. But um, mm -hmm. to think that you've been a part of that in a small little way um, w was great. So that was a great outcome for us. And just the fact that they actually came, because, you know, we talked about this at the top of the call, but John Lewis being the place for customer service. So they, they recognized that they came to us and they wanted that from us. So it was great to be a part of that. What sort of numbers are you talking? Because I mean, what strikes me is you've got your day job, right? You're you're, you're internally uh, training at John Lewis. You then got the uh, London Olympic team or whatever banner they they were under at the time, coming to you and saying, "How do you train our ambassadors?" Give us an idea of the kind of scale or something like that, and how you even go about taking that on. Well, Nathan, we're talking about you know thousands of people there in terms of the numbers, but in terms of us as a business in John Lewis, we, you know, we were trading around, well, we had about 2000 partners, um, in the branch that I was at, just in the branch that I was at, but in terms of the Olympic numbers, you know, thousands are trading reached thousands of people pretty much, you know, there was a lot of people there. So in terms of scale, it, it, it was large. I can't give you a specific number, but I just know it's thousands pretty much. Yeah, and those ambassadors, you know, received tremendous feedback, didn't they? And for the ambassadors themselves, it was it was you know a life changing yeah. role to carry out. Absolutely. Uh, and I guess you were taking people without that experience and, and training them up, them up in quite a short time frame. Yeah, it was it wasn't it wasn't very long. Let's <laughs> just put it that way. But um, yeah, good stuff, good times. In terms of John Lewis, then what else were you up to during that period? That again, as Alex touched on, that have really had. Um, great outcomes, you know, you viewed as successes. I know, and, and something we'll get onto in a second is your, the, the fact that you've kind of shifted your focus and belief from face to face to digital. But tell us a little bit about kind of that side of things, face to face and other type of activities that you ran at John Lewis and what really worked. Yeah. So apart from, you know, the, the day job delivering, you know, different topics, like I mentioned before, we had some, some programs that we had to deliver. And one in particular was a, as a program for some of our managers or up and coming managers where we, we would take them away for about a week out of London, uh, down to Devon. And it was a big development program. So we're out, we're outside and we're, you know, doing lots of different activities, you know, running around, um, archery going underground. And you're probably thinking, well, how does that relate to sales? But it relates to sales in a big way because those activities were testing their ability to manage people. So we had lots of different activities that they would undertake, but disguised in a fun way, but at the same time, we're testing you as an individual and how you're gonna be under pressure, you know, all of these kind of things. So that again was a big, big part of the role and we were coaching these managers. And again, the feedback from those managers after they spent the time at, the, after they spent that week of time away, when they came back, you know, a lot of them said to me when enter the team, life-changing absolutely life-changing because they didn't know the limits that they had okay couldn't necessarily see how that would relate to their work but actually when they got back on the shop floor okay well how do i deal with this person over here or how do i get over this tricky situation it all related together so you know again that was one of the one of the great things that we did as a, as a program and, and again, you will get onto this now that I guess is that at that point in your career, you're very much a, a massive believer in face-to-face -face learning, old school, if you like. So when did the, sh the shift to kind of 
the more digital side of, of things happen? Was that um, was that at John Lewis or, or later on? Very later on in this thing that we call COVID. Don't know if you heard of it, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, I love face to face training. Always will, always will. You know, I like to see the whites of your eyes and the communication and the body language, all that kind of stuff. So always going to love that. But COVID really, you know, changed the game. And when that happened, I was very resistant to it in terms of, you know, you can't, how can training be effective if you're not in a room with someone or that kind of stuff? So I was very, very resistant. And I always was talking to my colleagues and some managers about, you know, how can we get it back and will it ever come back? All that kind of stuff. Really resistant. But then a point came after a while, we were doing some stuff online and I was like, okay, great. I can see the value in this. And then over time, I don't know what happened. I just kind of like really got into it. I was like, okay, right. Let's, let's do, let's do this. And I'm, and I'm really happy to deliver training online now. So I can see the, the both sides have very, you know, that they're, they're both good in different ways. So I, I like them both. However, if I was to add a push, it would always be face to face, but you know, I'm just surprised and on the journey that I went from, absolutely hating it to now actually having a love for it and blending the two. So that, that kind of shocked me to be honest with you, but um, yeah, no, now I like, I like them both. That initial skepticism, what, what did that center around other than obviously like being in the room and, and getting that um, attraction and, and through communication, but what, was there anything else about online that initially put you off that now you think actually that's a benefit of, of delivering online? So anything that put me off about online, I, I think it was just mainly the connection piece, to be honest with you, because when you're up and about and, and you're meeting people, you know, you've got, you can do things, you know, I can pull somebody out of the audience, you know, to come and join me and do a demonstration or do something like that. We've got our flip charts, we've got breakout rooms, we can walk around, all that kind of thing you couldn't do on a screen. You can do it in a different way on a screen, which is still effective, but it just wasn't the same. So I think that's that's really what what got me mostly um in terms of in terms of the differences yeah and specifically related to sales training do you think that is more effective in the classroom or that is more you know can be done online to a degree ooh <laughs> okay yeah no so i think that they can be done side by side mm. um especially and i guess just the way that the world changed the shift now is you know to be more effective and cost effective in certain situations, we're going to have to go down the you know online space. So I actually believe now that they can both work, both work very very well. Um, but like I said before, however, I would I would always go with face to face where I can, where I can. Or so let or if we have a program where let's say you you know I'm training you and 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 uh, Nathan, and you have to attend let's say four modules. Well, how about we do the first one face to face so we can see our cohort of people we know who they are and then maybe the rest can be you know online or we do the first two and then however it might be so we can they can go side by side in an ideal world in 2017 john lewis you mentioned did have a, a restructure and, and everything changed for you at that point but what was so rare to hear is um uh, how highly you spoke of how john lewis handled that process as well because so often 90 to 95 percent of the time I hear people talk about their own you know redundancy processes and things it's a negative connotation they have um, but yours was very positive 
So, be, you know, and why was that? It was just the process of from from when they announced the changes, how that was done, you know, very planned and organized. So you knew at each stage what was coming next. Also, why they were having the changes, not just a case of, oh, we're doing this, see you later. Okay. There was communication about why, why, why they're doing that. And then again, this is coming back to the human side, okay? Understanding that people are going through different things at different times. It's a big deal when you're having a reorganization because we're talking about people's livelihoods, right? Um, so they were, again, they were caring with that. And then right up until, you know, we had to, you know, maybe apply for a new role or anything like that. People, some people were successful, some people were not. Other people had different, you know, different things they wanted to do. Whatever it was, that whole process, somebody was there to make sure that you were okay and that you got through whichever area that you were. So I, I, I don't think there'll ever be a bad word that I could say about about John Lewis, even if I wanted to. There's not one that can come out my mouth because um, it was a company I wanted to work for initially. I got in there, spent a good ten years there, and then even though it, it ended, it was great ending. That sounds a bit strange, right? But it was a great ending. But then that has platformed me on to do what I'm doing now. So the process that they they that they did for that redundancy package, I you know, it was top notch in my opinion. Excellent. That sounds fantastic and contrary to to what you know what I hear usually. Oh really? Okay. Oh yeah. So you know, certainly um just, you know, right from like level of communication to the kind of outplacement support offered you know, can be little to zero, um, you know, particularly the climate, the way it is at the moment, yeah. you know, training and development budgets, they either, you know, go one way or the other, really. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there could be people facing similar situations, depending on, you know, how the economy is and things. You know, they, they provided us a program on with a company that helped us, you know, with, with CVs and job interviews and all this kind of stuff. And it was like, okay, this is, this is great. So they were helping you at every stage get to the next level of what you need to do for yourself and you know to, to keep to keep all right. So yeah, good. Mm -hmm. And did you move straight into the role with, with Cushman? No. So I was taking I was making use of the resources that John Lewis provided at that time, which was great. So I was making you know use of that, just trying to get myself into the space of thinking, okay, right. So what do we do next? Because I never really faced this in my career before. Many people face this in their careers. It's just part of life. It's going to happen at some point, more than likely, to most of us. Um, so I was navigating that. And then probably a period of about maybe seven, seven months of trying to figure that out. And, you know, I was doing some other things for, for, for myself. And it was actually a bit nice to take some time out, actually, from working and just reorganize and think of things. And then one day I was with my wife now, and she was like, I think I had a call. She's like, oh, I, was like, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered. So I was like, just, just take the call. And I was like, okay, all right. So then I took the call and then it was a recruitment um, advisor from Cushman. And then they just started to talking to me about who they were. And then reluctantly I said, okay, yeah, I can meet you at this date. And then that was it really. It, so if I hadn't have taken that call, um, you know, I'm not quite sure what would have happened. <laughs> Before we move on to that sort of section of what our chat, really, it's probably worth introducing who Cushman and Wakefield are, because when you first when we first chatted to you, you described them as the uh, John Lewis of the real estate world. And I've got to say, before we looked at you as a potential guest and things, like that, I wasn't sure who Cush. I think I'd heard of Cushman and abbreviated to Cushman, but that was about it. Alex, probably the same for you. 
similar yeah like obviously know them as a brand but not you know particularly au fait with you know what they do and obviously big organization um but unless you're in real estate i guess you 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 don't really know the ins and outs it's interesting to hear you both say that because i didn't know who they were either until they approached me so it's all good (laughs) it's all good right so yeah no so again they they approached me through linkedin um you know said you know we've got this job would you be interested in in you know looking at it and coming over so they're they're a global corporate corporate real estate company um one of the top three in in the in the world in corporate real estate so and I say that they are the the John Lewis of corporate real estate simply because they're very people focused, pretty much like how John Lewis were. You know, I'm not saying that other companies aren't, but they're very heavily focused on on the people, the development of their people, well being of their people. Um, so that's kind of again another thing when I was looking at their mission statement and their values, kind of what drew drew me to them. And I thought, you know what? Okay, great. This might be a potential match. Completely different industry for me, but again doesn't matter too much because we're in learning and development, right? So we can take those skills and apply them actually to a number of different areas because you're you're teaching people or you're coaching people or you're trying to get the best out of people. So very, very transferable. Um, and in terms of Cushman and Wakefield, large organization, great organization, doing really, really well. And, you know, I'm happy that, you know, I, I actually made the the choice to come over and just carry on some of the learning that I built from John Lewis and take it even further, you know, on a global approach with an organization such as the one I'm working for now. Give us an idea of the size of Cushman. So they've got 53,000 employees, roughly, um, all over the world. So we've got America, Asia, Europe, so EMEA. And, you know, I've had the pleasure of, my role was having the pleasure of going around EMEA, because when I started with them, I was mainly in EMEA, going around, you know, Warsaw, Paris, uh, Spain, you know, lots of different places, you know, Budapest, uh, just delivering training for our people, which was really, really great because you got to see a number of different different people, you know, different service lines, different cultures, and, you know, got to test you in, in, in a bit, you know, got to make you a little bit better in terms of what you do and how you communicate, because... In LED, you have to communicate well, right? So again, this is testing that those skills. So again, very, very, very happy to be doing that. Moving from a UK-focused organization into global focus, what advice would you give someone either looking to make that move or you know maybe just landed in a, in a globally-focused company? Yeah, so one of the things that I would say is that you know, this, this terminology that we have, you, you know, I, I say that I've gone from local to global. So, and I say that because John Lewis is very much UK based. Yeah. You know, you know if you go to America, you're not necessarily going to, people won't necessarily know who John Lewis are, right? Um, it's not commonplace like we have it here. So it's just a case if you've gone from local to global. And when you go global, it's just a bigger remit. You've got to think wider and you've got to think about cultures and you've got to think about, you know, things aren't always going to be the same as the way that you've done them before. So it's just having that scope of mind and that breadth of mind to think a bit more out of the box. And if that's a bit of a struggle, you've got to use your team around you and the people that are in that space and get advice from them because otherwise you'd, you, you'd be staying in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a box when you need to be thinking wider, basically. I guess you almost need, like, culture subject matter experts to lean on exactly on top of the material yeah no, exactly that so you know some of the the training that i'll be producing for, 
uh, for Cushman. Exactly. We definitely need subject matter experts in different, and the business is so big as well. You've got to, you've got to lean on people from all over the place. So, and the thing about it is don't be afraid to do that because you're not going to know it all. Nobody's expecting you to know it all, but sometimes we put pressure on ourselves to know it all. <laughs> Are you delivering training that's the, well, the same training, if you like, but adapted for different regions? Are you going that far at Cushman at the moment or not? Yeah, so it's been something we've been doing for some time because we're trying to combine the EMEA role. So I'll, I'll just, EMEA, see, EMEA seem to be a little bit more, let's say, organized with their training for a certain level of people. Whereas America, because it's so big, they never had that kind of, you know, structure per se. So it was kind of getting together. What content do you have over here? What content do we have here? How can we put this together and make it go out to the wider business? And we've been doing that for some time now. And again, there's a mixture of um, online and, you know, face-to-face -face sessions that we're trying to implement with that. Are you needing to localise in different languages and, and things like that? Tell, tell us a bit about that side of it. You know, how you make this kind of global training accessible for various regions, countries? Yeah, so to be honest, no. I mean, the the organisation really understands that English is the is the the language that we speak, so that's fine, and you know everybody's okay with that. Um, I guess in answer to this particular question, one of the things that I see when I'm delivering a course around presentation skills, you know, some of the, some participants will say, "Oh, can I deliver this in my language because it's easier for me to speak." Um, and sometimes we, we kind of say, well, we can't do that because we're a global organization. But I've had that question, which is interesting. And I know, I know that they would probably deliver a better presentation if it was in their local language, you know, but you know, nonetheless, they're still, they're still great. But it's just kind of just giving you an example of, you know, what kind of can go on within, within that. I guess with, with this kind of new belief of yours on, on with digital, and I, I would imagine when we spoke 10 minutes ago about this, it was, you were you were talking about a Cushman project that, that, that not John Lewis project, right. That, that get the, the spurs your belief in digital. But I guess the one big factor of anything like video, like e-learning courses is that you do at least get to control the quality, control the messaging. Uh, is that something you're finding useful now that you've got this global role and trying to roll out standardized practice and training? Yeah, I mean, it, it 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 does help. It does help, but again, there are new there are nuances, isn't there, with with the other with the other side? But um, um, yeah, no, it 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 does help. It does help, Nathan. Yeah. If you could give us a flavour of the you know the training and the different types of delivery that you're you know most focused on at the moment, and then maybe we can come on to you know where you see things going as well. We are doing so specific sales training. One of the programs that I deliver is is called. I'm not sure if we spoke about this before, but one of the things is it's called challenger selling. So this particular form of selling is all about getting our, our participants to get their clients to think about insights. Okay, so how can we be different to the competition or how can we teach our clients something they don't know about their industry? Um, how can we keep abreast for them so that they think, okay, right, I didn't actually know that. I need to go to Cushman because they're the ones who know and they can lead me to the solution. So that's kind of one of the big things that we're that we're doing at the moment, and we're trying to implement that 
across the organization. Essentially, we're trying to make sure all of our salespeople are what we call challengers. Okay, so challenging the client to think differently and be better. So that's one of the programs that we're running. Where do you see things kind of heading in terms of the future of L&D? With the program or just in L&D in general? Just in L&D in general, I guess, you know, having been at the forefront of customer service and sales training for so many years, how do you see it evolving from this point, given that we've transitioned into this, you know, hybrid model now, hybrid model of delivery and blended learning? Where do you see it going next? Well, that's a great question. Um, If we think about metaverse, for instance, we think about the past three years now or so, and the fact that we've gone from face-to-face to Zoom, so Zoom is one level, okay? And then, you know, it wasn't just me. Other people would say, oh, it's not the same, you know, as being face-to-face. So Zoom is one level, and, that, and that's that's okay. But the metaverse is a different level because now we're talking about a stage where we can say, oh, it's not as good as being in person, but it's very, very close, yeah? Mm-hmm. Because now you've got, you're almost in a different world where I can be there but not be there. But I can... Do you understand what I mean? So we're almost, we're leveling up now. Um, So the metaverse is very exciting and scary at the same time, (laughs) okay? But the the point I'm making here with that is that we can deliver training in a more meaningful way in the metaverse um, than we probably ever thought that we could. And it could be as as close as to being in reality as, as almost being you know, they're, they're, they're face-to-face. So that's kind of where I'm going with that. Or that's where I see L&D moving to. Yeah, I mean, it's early days for everyone and everyone's kind of still trying to work out what's it going to look like? What is the metaverse? I mean, but yes, we all know, as you've just talked about, what it can do and and um, the, the potential benefits of it. What, what are you doing at Cushman then in terms of looking at this as a medium you want to explore more and... Are you already on it, is what I'm asking, I guess? So the metaverse, not so much, but virtual reality, yes. So VR, we are implementing, so next year, I believe, we're implementing some management management training around, well, we're exploring with, with VR. So I think we've got some courses around, you know, difficult conversations, those kind of things for our managers, where, you know, obviously there's a headset and everything, all that kind of stuff, but there's pre-populated with actors inside there and you know how to respond to these to, the, to these people so you can put that on and have that conversation which is really really quite cool actually but it's all about practicing that skill so when you have to deliver that message to an individual you kind of warmed up there warmed up with that so vr is the main focus at the moment and then naturally that metaverse will obviously link into that you know d- down the line but we we haven't gone to the meta metaverse just yet, but it will it will happen. I'm pretty sure. It's a, yeah, you're right. It's a natural extension, certainly of, of that type of um, VR environments you're creating. In fact, we work with a client that's done it very well. Exactly what you're talking okay. about. So that's St James's Place. They they've they've created this sort of VR world of um, client conversations. Yeah, exactly. It's sitting down with clients in their living room. They're the sort of scenarios that are depicted, yeah. and. I've seen that work really, really well. They've they've done it. You know what they've done is incredible. Okay. So so when you, when are you saying that that's coming next year? Yeah. So I believe we're. I think we're piloting some now. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, but I know that we're rolling out some programs for that. It's definitely one of the things that's on our radar. So next 
by next year, 2023, should be rolling that out as standard, hopefully. Exciting. Well, we might have to get you back on at some point <laughs> to talk about how that goes because it's a big thing. I mean, Alex, you and I both both post about L&D and FE and whatever here and there on LinkedIn. It seems to be that VR metaverse is getting a lot of traction. That's when we get our best sort of viewing figures, I guess, on our posts and stuff, right? Yeah, it is. And I feel like the move to VR and AR is a bigger leap than it will be for the move from VR, AR to metaverse. I think that will come quite quickly afterwards. Yeah. But certainly there's, you know, there's a lot of chatter and, and maybe not so much in the public eye around who's doing what and the efficacy of that. But we've, you know, we've had another guest on from um, an airline company who's, you know, had a, you know, great commercial saving mm. based on the use of uh, VR and uh, around ground checks on, on aircraft and things. Exactly. So, um, yeah, people just need to hear about those examples yeah. um, rather than just thinking, oh, it's another piece of tech. I think I think with that as well, especially with managers, when they actually when they actually do it, they'll see the benefit of, of that and they'll be like, yeah, OK, <laughs> I get this. But it's interesting. You're mentioning the same as as, as SJP, the client we have. Um, the, you're you're teaching really soft skill type um, stuff using VR because, you know, we started very much in the engineering space with you know car manufacturers and things. And I always saw the value longer term. This is going back a few years, but of VR when you're doing the sort of certain function, let's say on a production line where actually mistakes cost a lot of money. So the idea that you can go in, you can practice that way always sort of made sense to me. I never really thought of it so much on the soft skills side of things. I think maybe also the fact that we've all got so used to using screens, you know, for everything now, right? We're, we're always on Zooms or Teams or what have you. And maybe that again is as, softened that kind of transition made it a little bit easier who knows mm. yep no absolutely and, and hopefully you know it will be it will become a place where well I th you know we we as a video production company obviously have to think about where we fit in that future but from what we look at and understand about it video will always part play a part in it that kind of pushed media uh, and video i guess is very very much of the now but it's all the other stuff that you can do around that and like you say it's the interact interaction side it's the ability to to not only showcase a video but then showcase stats that relate to that video or whatever it may be and that that's quite exciting stuff really absolutely um okay in your career so far then what would you say were some of the highlights in terms of the the, the vr you've just mentioned that's coming on your radar but over the last sort of 15 years or so what, what's been your your highlights oh what a question <laughs> wow so i think a highlight then i mean i know i've spoken about this already is just the it's just the way that my brain shifted from you know face to face to to online and just seeing the the, the value of of that um, because you can do some great stuff, you know, online. You, re you really can. I'm not sure if you guys have been, you know, in trading sessions, you know, where you've got whiteboards and stuff. You can do lo a lot of different things, cool things as well. So that's, a, when I say a highlight, more of an insight for me, <laughs> more of an eye-opener, um, that. But highlights, I think, is just really around me and just, you know, pushing myself to make everything the best that I that it can be. So in terms of the training content, wh whatever that content is, you know, I always just want to make sure that, that that content is the best that it can be for 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 the people that I'm delivering it to. So 
if we talk about highlights, it's, th it's things around the, some of the feedback that I get from some of the training sessions that I deliver. Um, when people say that, you know, that was a good use of my time. I learned something new, all those things that we as trainers in L and D, we really want to be hearing <laughs> would be, would be highlights for me. And you've moved from a, a European focused role to, to a global role in your fairly brief time at Cushman. What, 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 what would, what, what's next, I guess, you know, where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years? Yeah. So funny thing about the role that I do and people that do this role, I think that we do it because we love people. Right. And there's only so, well, there's only so far you can, you can go with that. <laughs> All right. And for me, I'm always, the next level is always going to be, I'm always going to be want to be, be wanting to be in a room delivering training or on screen delivering training. Um, I don't always want to be behind the scenes producing training. I would want to be in front of the room. So if my role encompasses me being more taking a back seat, that's fine, but I've got to jump in at some point, some point I've got to be in there, I've got to be in your face somewhere. <laughs> okay. So I'm hoping that as long as I'm, as long as it's work for us in, you know, in this, in this wonderful L and D world where I can influence somebody, I'm always going to always going to want to be doing that in terms of my, my, my career. So I couldn't pinpoint where, what that role is or what position that is, but just let me be in front of someone. <laughs> That's basically what I want to do. But Alex, I, I'm smiling away because how many, how many of our guests have, have been exactly the same? It seems that, that, that there's that, there's that buzz that you get from actually training face to face and leading sessions that, that all you guys seem to like. Yeah. I, I call, I call this, the fun part of HR, all right? So, you know, HR, you've got recruitment, you've got all these other business parts, you've got all these other roles, which are great. But I call this the fun part, got to say. Touching on sort of the Cushman, your Cushman role at the moment, tell us about kind of the use of platforms, LXPs or LMS sort of platforms. How are you utilising that sort of tech at the moment? Well, that's a great question, Nathan. And the reason why I say that is because we have a platform at the moment, and I think I mentioned it, may have mentioned it before, but we, we, we use Workday. I'm sure lots of organizations are familiar with, with Workday, you know, putting, putting courses on, tracking information, getting data, all that kind of stuff. We've been using that a long time. It works really well. But one of our projects at the moment is we're looking to see what else there is. Um, and, you know, are we going to stay, stay with it? You know, is there anything else that we could potentially use? So... In answer to this question, it was just, I think it's just more, a bit more for our, from our side, it's more investigation and just seeing what we can do as an organization with some of that, with some of those LMSs. But what I know mainly is, is, is workday personally. And um, what's your feeling about kind of that off the shelf model that you then tailor like workday versus, you know, investing the time, money, resource into building your own? Yeah, it's a, again, another good question because, you know, Somebody could say, "Oh, right, I want this. I want this session on I don't know time management or whatever it might be." You know, I go onto Workday. There were some populated courses already. We say, "Okay, right. You know, have you seen this?" But they can be very generic, right? Yeah. You've got to relate it to your industry. So then, you, so then the work is, "Okay, right. You've got this content, but then how does it relate to us?" So then we've got to talk about to our SM, uh, subject matter experts or whoever. So we're almost creating another course anyway. <laughs> do, do you see what I mean sometimes? So it's a hard one. Um, it's a hard one. But I, I think both, again, can have uses. But, you know, 
if somebody's came to me and said, you know, I need a, I need a course on whatever it might be, I'll just do the training needs. And if I have the time, we would we would create something special. But it's all about time and, you know, all, that, all those kind of things, really. And I guess the holy grail is people going to a platform like that, whether it's on their phone or their computer in some downtime. We've had other guests talk about, you know, the the the, the need for for staff or learners, whatever we refer to, refer to them as, um, sitting on a bus potentially yeah. watching a video or whatever. Exactly. Um, that's obviously increasing more and more as we all kind of live busier lives and have this kind of attention grab everywhere. Um, Again, what's your thoughts in terms of making things more bite-sized, making them th things more self-serve, perhaps stuff that people would go to a sort of hub and dig deeper in their own time and, and not just that kind of tick, tick box L&D? Yeah, no, I'm all, I'm all for it. I think, you know, bite-sized learning is, is great. And again, everyone's different, right? So some people would only want that, you know, 30 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever it might be. And that's all that they need. And again, we've got to fit things in with our lives, right? So all of this stuff is really, really important for, for us to make things, to make it work. Right. So I'm all, I'm all for it. Um, the only thing I would say is just thinking about whatever you do, what are you doing with what you're consuming? Um, because, you know, there's a stat I think, and it's around with, without, is it without practical application? I think you lose seventy-five percent of what you learn. You lose within within six days or within a week. Right. All right. So it's a case of great. I've learned something. What am I actually doing with it? Or did I just learn this on the tube the other day? Great. Yeah. Or I learned this on a bus. Yeah. Great. And it's all over. <laughs> all right. So again, there's a balance of what am I doing? What am I doing it for? You know, people might be, need to be disciplined and even give themselves a a workbook or something to work with, just to tick things off and have action goals or that kind of stuff. So, although they're great, we don't want to make it like a Netflix where I'm watching a, a ne another episode every day or whatever it might be, and then putting the thing away. Um, what am I doing with it, really? That's interesting you said that because no one else has talked like that before. But I'm thinking, you know what? It's the same as me. I don't like looking at my emails on my phone. Because the only time I've ever really failed to respond to an email is because of that. It would have been, and I, I really don't do it unless I have to. Yeah. Because you kind of look at it and you might be do halfway, look, half looking at it and doing something else. It's then been read on your on your laptop and, and it, can, it can slip your mind. So yeah. I can see why, why that would be a concern, actually. Interesting. But then some people would respond and that would be exactly how they, they work and how they operate. So it's just a balance. Um, who who you are really? Yeah, it's making sure it's not too throwaway, I guess, as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like most most stuff in in this world. Exactly, Alex. Before um, we we sort of wrap things up, anything else from your standpoint? Um, I guess you know, from, from someone that's worked for two you know large companies, marquee brands, uh, you know, especially for customer service. What advice might you give to someone that's looking to enter? world of learning and development now yeah so i remember when i was the, the well i remember the excitement that i that i had when i got the job in john lewis and i'm going oh i'm going to hr yeah got my oh, lnd role I, you know, I just remember that that was great but i think it's just really about you know communicating the best you can we talk about communication a lot right but you know how are you communicating to people really seriously yeah and also with influencing you know what are your influencing skills like because in this role that you're going to have as a new individual, 
you're going to be talking to a lot of people, a lot of stakeholders, okay? A lot of people that have influence. So you've got to be able to influence these stakeholders and get your ideas across. You know, you say you want to do this new program, or maybe we should go into VR. Or maybe, have you thought about how um, the metaverse is coming? What are we doing in this? How are you influencing that conversation? Okay, so where you can be assertive and just be, you know, be, be known for your brand. What are you really good at? Not what are you good at, but what are you really good at? So what do people know you for? Are you the customer service guy or are you the VR guy or whatever it might be, okay? When they think of that, they think of you straight away. So really build that brand and think about who, who you are. Um, in other words, what, what do people associate you with? And then if we're talking about future-proofing themselves, um, I know that was one of the questions, it's about, you know, the word learning and development, well, what are you doing to learn and what are you doing to develop yourself, <laughs> all right? So, yeah, just keep learning as much as you can and developing those skills like I just talked about a, a moment ago. And I think I'll leave it on the last part with that would be around a lot of L&D professionals would have heard, well, yeah, they would have heard of the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen R. Covey, right? So I think the very seventh habit of that is called sharpen the saw. Yeah, and sharpen the saw is all about re-going over what you've done, making sure that you are staying on track, just sharpening your saw, getting better, getting better, getting better. So learn, learn, relearn, develop. It's just a circle, it's a loop, right? You know, it's certainly a common thread that we've seen that those working in learning development love learning and developing themselves. Yeah. And that tends to be why they've progressed and why they move on for jobs. You know, there has to be that, that thread of, will I develop moving into this next role? Absolutely. You've got to walk the talk. So that was a great interview. We enjoyed that, Alex. Um, good guy, definitely. Uh, love, love the way he talks about John Lewis. And... Uh, you know, this is a guy that's made redundant by John Lewis, and look how well he talks to them. So that says a lot about John Lewis, I think. Anyway, but what's your your key takeout, Alex? I think it shows you where a career in learning and development can take you. You know, we had Brendan last time. You know, flying all over the world with the Emirates and, and you know, in a foundation company. And here we've got Victor working for John Lewis, but also then being seconded to train Olympic ambassadors. Uh, before now, you know, moving into a more internationally focused role with a larger brand. So I just think it was really interesting, you know, to hear about that journey. Yeah, and I think for me, I, I love the fact that he, you know, he's open to new ideas. He, he admits he wasn't a believer in technology. He sort of changed those beliefs, I guess, during lockdown. And, and maybe that's one of the benefits that, act, one of the few benefits actually that, that came out of the lockdown period is that L&D uh, teams were forced to kind of embrace new technology. And I think... Personally speaking, I think that's a real positive, but but lovely to hear his journey. And I'm sure that's very similar to a lot of our listeners during lockdown, having to embrace new technologies and do things very differently. And I can definitely say for, as a video production company in the L&D world, it's been a lot easier selling videos since COVID. So I think that that, that for me was my biggest takeout. Uh, so who have we got next week, Alex? Yeah, we've got Ian Bond coming on. Um, Ian's a, a vastly experienced education professional, uh, so it'll be really interesting to hear from him about the overlap between 
government funding and L&D initiatives. Yeah, and I think a world that most people don't tend to know much about. So I think there's a lot of great takeouts for, for both L&D and training professionals, I guess, next time. Uh, and before we go, first of all, of course, thank you to Victor for giving up his time. Absolutely fantastic guest. Uh, thanks for listening and please subscribe, like, comment, share, whatever you can do to help us uh, get this show out there. Much appreciated. Yeah, thanks everyone.